going to start the first of the um, topics that you have picked for this year. Remember, the title for this year is What's on Your Mind? And so I had uh, uh, people basically give me topics that I wanted to talk about, things that they wanted to know more about. Now, if you st- there's still some room for stuff throughout the year. So if there's topics that you'd like to see covered at some point in time, scripture reference, a question, whatever, um, let me know. We'll try to get it on the calendar in some sort of way that makes sense, and then we'll go from there. So this, t- this particular one is, uh, the question is about worship and John chapter four. So as we begin, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, even though I just said John chapter four, open to Romans chapter 12, put a marker there because we're going to come back to it and then turn over to John chapter four. And we're going to take a look at this particular uh, 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 question. Now, this is the conversation in John chapter 4. This is the conversation of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, or Jacob's well in the the village of of, uh, Sychar. And the question was, what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? Such a great question. Such a great question. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Because Jesus tends to talk in riddles a lot. He, he's playing in a lot of ways, but he's not playing in a lot of other ways. And it can be very confusing when we look at this. And Jesus says, we're going to start worshiping in spirit and truth. Now, in order to answer this, I, I, I realized quickly that I was not going to be able to answer this in one week. So we're going to do two weeks. So this is part one where we're going to talk about what worship is and is not. Uh, and then next week, we're going to talk about how to apply that in spirit and truth. Because in reality, I can't explain to you how to worship in spirit and truth until we actually understand what worship is. So we have to, we have to approach this in a, in a reasonable way. Um, so in John chapter 4, verses 20 through 26, this is that conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Now keep in mind, Jesus is not supposed to be where he is. Before this conversation even begins, Jesus is, in a lot of people's eyes, defiling himself for even being in the town that he's in. He's not supposed to be there. Jews did not go there, and Jews especially did not consort with Samaritans and Jewish men did not talk to Samaritan women without 50 other people there. They just didn't trust him. They had very, very bad blood against uh, with one another. But Jesus specifically chose to go this route with his disciples, knowing it would take him through this place. And I think this is um, uh, just a wonderful example of the inclusiveness of the gospel message. During the first century, the Jews wanted everything about God to be theirs and theirs alone. And the truth of the matter is, it's never been theirs and theirs alone. They were stewards for a while, but now it's for everybody. And this is a great example of that. So Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. They've been at the well for a little while. And in the process of the conversation, it comes to worship. And this is where Jesus starts. He says, so tell me, why is it, the, or the, the woman starts, tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship. Now, keep in mind what they're talking about here. Jerusalem is the only place of worship. Well, we Samaritans claim that it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming and, is de- and indeed is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, 
I am the Messiah. This is one of the first recorded events where Jesus is saying, I'm the one you're waiting for. And he did it to a Samaritan woman. You talk about a double whammy. Not just a Samaritan, but a woman. What? Makes you rethink a lot of things that we think are true about, about the gospel, doesn't it? Jesus and God, doesn't, they don't have to do things our way. They do it their way. So worship is a topic found all throughout scripture, and it is without hesitation extremely integral to our faith. Worship is central to our faith. Over the centuries, you've seen it expressed in a lot of different ways. Every nation and culture has their own way of doing it. And over the centuries, even within those nations and cultures, it's changed. So now the question has to be asked, if things can change, if worship will change with every culture and every expression and every different type of form, how can we define something that is constantly changing? That just seems silly. How would we even be able to define what worship is or is not based on the simple fact that it is never the same? You go to one side of the world and worship is completely different than on the other side of the world. But I got to ask you the question, is it? Is it? See, we have this unfortunate view of worship. We tend to correlate it to music. Music is only one form of worship, and it's not even the best kind. Worship is an expression of other things that are going on in your life. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But the best way that I know of to define worship, it's going to sound like this. It is a consistent, continual emptying of yourself in service to God while directing people to God. Can I say that again? Worship is a consistent and continual emptying of yourself in service to God while directing people to God. This is why it can change over the centuries. And this is why not the people say, well, there's worship music and then there's, and then there's not, and then there's praise music. No, there's not. <laughs> this is called tempo, folks. It's either fast or slow. It's not that difficult, you know? And you got to think about it. Most of the people in church can't clap on one and three, so the tempo is really irrelevant anyway. I remember I was giving a guy guitar lessons. He really wanted to be a worship leader. I said, great. Try strumming. And I went, dun, 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 dun. And he went, dun, dun, dun. Like, oh, no. I said, okay, put your pick down and do this. And, and he goes, whoa, okay, slow down, slow down. Let me watch you. I'm like, slow down? He's like trying. He'll, he'll wait, and he'll be like. He goes, what do you think? I said, can you sing? Because I think that's probably the better way to go. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Worship is not a style of music. The music is just music. It's what we do with it that makes it worship. That's, the, that's one of the key differences there. So I'm hopefully be able to explain this better as we go along. So one of the easiest ways to identify what worship is is to help you understand what it isn't and see some examples of what, how worship, what is not worship. And maybe you can start looking at that and going, oh, okay, I, I kind of see this. And I'm going to focus specifically on the church, okay? And this, this, some of these things may make you go, um, uh, what? So around our world, certain groups, certain denominations have taken it upon themselves to declare certain types of styles of music. And I'm going to focus on music because it's the easiest for us to understand. Certain styles of music to be true worship. 
and other styles of music to be of the devil. Anyone ever heard that? Anyone ever run into that at any point in time? You know, that music's of the devil. Usually they're referring to like rock or metal music today. You know, you got Christian rock, Christian metal, that music's of the devil. I usually like to take those people back a few hundred years. And you know, a lot of the Christmas hymns that we sing today, most of those things, most of the music in your hymnals for denominations that use them were originally sung in taverns. Okay, that's, just, that's an old English word for bar. Bar! So you got a bunch of beard-up fishermen singing joy to the world. Okay? You want to know why they were sung in bars? Because the church didn't think they were suitable for church. These are of the devil. Look at that rhythm. You can tap your foot. Jesus never tapped his foot. It's not in the Bible anywhere. You never see anywhere where Jesus is talking about 4-4 timing. No. Yeah, I'm just going to move on, move along. Because um, I could spend a lot of time on that. It doesn't take long to jump online and see a lot of people condemning modern music. But in my opinion, they've tossed the baby out with the bathwater. But at the same time, some of them have very valid points when they bring up certain types and certain things you see happening in churches around the, around the world. Now remember, the definition I gave you is a constant and consistent emptying yourself in service of God, pointing people to God. If pointing people to God is not part of what you're doing, it is not worship in any way, shape, or form. doesn't matter where it is or who's doing it. If it is not directing people to God, it is not worship, period, okay? So I want to show you a couple things that have happened in the last few years, and I'm not really sure why, because someone in these churches believed fully that this was a good idea, okay? So this, I'm going to show you, is part of a Christmas program put on by Hillsong Sweden, um, they had a bunch of Hindu dancers come in. Please keep in mind, this was the Christmas program. Now, this is, um, I, I believe this is a part of uh, the worship of Shiva. There's like thousands and thousands of God in the, in the Hindu um, uh, pantheon. But um, uh, this one, the, this particular symbol represents numbers. Anyone want to take a guess which numbers they are? It's only one number and it reappears three times. Okay, it represents the, the number 666. Who, in their right mind, thought that incorporating Hindu worship into a Christmas program was even remotely a good idea. By the way, this particular program was opened up by a Drake song. Um, if you're not familiar with him, let's just say the song did not speak highly of women in a moral way. And they sang it. This is in a church. And the reason they gave for doing it is that we need to appeal to people where they are. Huh? No, you don't. You need to accept them where they are. But we don't bring a message of secular, worldly, pagan worship into the church and call it a Christmas program. It's crazy. Here's one by, from a church in Florida called Church by the Glade. 
Um, there's a couple things here. Now, Church by the Glades um, is known for its completely outlandish performances, and they refer to them as performances. And they admit that what they do at the beginning of their service has nothing to do with worship. It has nothing to do with praising God. It is all about getting your attention. The pastor is very open about this, said this is, this is purely to appeal to people's curiosity so that they come into the church. Now, I don't know if you realize this. There's this like weird demonic clown thing on one side. Um, but you see the two ladies hanging by the cloth? That's a circus act for one. It's also a form of uh, um, striptease, that particular style of dancing. Um, now, I might be a prude. But mimicking a striptease during a church performance, probably a bad idea. Right? Probably a bad idea. Now, other things that their particular worship team does on a regular basis is they cover secular music. Uh, and they do it and they kind of, they, they kind of sell, sell, their, um, sell their music. And a lot of the stuff that they cover, it's on the church website. Now, um, songs by Billie Eilish, uh, Beyonce. Katy Perry, and others. I name those three specifically because those three have openly and continually open, ad, openly admit that their, that their music career, they, they, they attribute the success to their worship of the satanic and the demonic. These are songs being covered by the worship teams on Sunday mornings. I listened to a testimony by one of their worship leaders. They're like, oh, but when people hear songs they hear on the radio, they're like, oh, I love being here. To meet who? <laughs> who are you here to meet? This has got nothing to do with Jesus, and the church is completely okay with that. But that's not compromise at all. Now, this next one, guys, I'm just curious. If you were to send your wife to a ladies' conference hosted by a mega church, and on one of the closing events... One of the people on the stage during the music was a representation of a New York City guitar player known as the Naked Cowboy. Okay, now as far as I can tell, he's wearing shoes, a guitar, and an American flag. Whether he's got anything, I don't care. This was a woman's conference at Hillsong, New York City. That is the youth pastor. <laughs> That's great. What? <laughs> Dan? Uh, anyway. No. This is a woman's conference. What? How does this direct people to Christ? What this does is it says all of the worldliness that is in the secular world is welcome in the church, we're not asking to ask you to do anything. All of the sinful things that you see in the world around you, we will happily welcome into the church as long as it entertains you. See the danger there? There's nothing about this that is worship. Now, other things that go on, churches around the country, like Andy Stanley's church, there's another church. Um, uh, I got a testimony from a, from a couple of people who we all know, and I'll just leave it at that. They were visiting a church, and the, they were there watching the, the, one of the pastors instruct the secular musicians, which means not Christian musicians, that were part of their worship team 
they were instructing them on when to raise and wave their hand to make it look like they were worshiping during Sunday morning. And the reason that they hire secular musicians is because the people in the church weren't talented enough to bring good music. Their caliber of their music needed to be here. And the, God's people are so pathetic. I need the people who were playing in a bar room Saturday night to be here Sunday morning. So that I can really usher in the spirit of God. And we call it worship. And we want to know why so many megachurches are failing in our country. We want to know why there's such a lack of, this, of, of spiritual power in our nation. And why it seems like God has walked away from us. God has not walked away from us. We told him to leave. Because what he provided for us by God sending people into the church wasn't good enough for us, so we hired the world to come in and replicate it. Now, all that being said, (laughs) when I hear people criticizing Christian music, I I get it. I understand where they're coming from because there's a lot of bad stuff out there, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. What I almost never hear those people doing is talking about the heart of the artist or the message in the music. They see a style, don't like the style, it's ungodly, and they toss it out. They're actually paying no attention to what God has brought, maybe in a different way, maybe in a way that you don't necessarily like. Now, let me, let me give you an example of this. How many of you know who John Cooper is? John Cooper is the front man for Skillet. During COVID, of course, they weren't touring. Skillet is a rock band. They're a Christian rock band. They weren't touring, so he started a podcast. He called it Cooper Stuff. He thought it was fun. And what he did is he started calling out the hypocrisy in a lot of people in the way they were acting and reacting to things. And his podcast went from, hey, I think I'll start a podcast, to boom, global podcast. It just exploded. Now... He said some stuff that even I was like, I don't know if I'd say that. And that's coming from me, okay? But what ended up happening was he got so popular so fast that a lot of the more conservative side of the pew decided they needed to do something about it. So they started doing YouTube videos and their own podcasts on why people shouldn't listen to John Cooper because he plays rock music. I want you to think about this. They're paying no attention to what he's saying. They're paying no attention to the lyrics in the songs. They're paying no attention to it. It's just, it's loud. They have drums and everyone knows the drums are of the devil. He's got a bass guitar. It says, you can't do that. And look at that beard. All it did was make it more popular, which definitely made me laugh because I thought it was funny. Now, I'm not a fan of rock music. But I get it. I understand why people would like it. I understand that that you have a certain temperament about you and certain types of music are going to appeal to you. And I'm not going to tell you that they're not worshiping. Now, after hearing him talk in, in different interviews, I have no doubt in my mind that he is a committed, sincere believer. And I have, I've listened, I've actually read some of the jackets in the, uh, in his, in his music and I've actually read the lyrics. Now I might not like the style, but those lyrics, I mean, if you can understand them, I don't know how anyone can, yeah, you, you, you understand what I mean. The lyrics are powerful. 
And they're true and they're honest and they direct people to God. How can I declare that not worship just because I don't like the style? Who am I to say that this is not acceptable to God? That's not my place. I'm not going to tell people that, that they can or cannot worship to this. What I'm supposed to do is examine the fruit of their lives. Examine what it produces in their life. Matthew, what is it? Matthew 7, 16. Examine the fruit. I see the fruit of his life. I'm not going to declare that not worship. But you see how people get stuck on the style? This, the music doesn't have anything to do with worship. It's just a vehicle for worship. Worship is something different. Worship begins on the inside. I rarely hear these people talking about the heart of the artist or the messaging of the music. Their complaint is always that it's a style they don't like. Meanwhile, they've got a pew in their hand that 200 years ago was banned from the church because the church it was the pew is a, a style of music the church didn't like. This is the nonsense that goes on within this conversation. The question is, is worship the material part of the song, meaning the, the, uh, the lyrics and the melody? Or is it the spirit behind it? Or is it both? I, I think it's both. Because if the spirit behind it is right, the lyrics and the melody are going to be where they're supposed to be. Think about this question. What is the difference between an unrepentant secular recording artist doing a cover of Amazing Grace or How Great Thou Art and a committed believer singing the same songs? What's the difference? The difference is one is worship, one isn't. A committed believer pouring themselves into that song is worship. Now, I want you to think about it. Um, uh, uh, I'm going to forget the, uh, the guy's name. Um, wrote, amaz- wrote Amazing Grace. Um, who is it? No. John Newton, thank you. If, if Amazing Grace were written today, it would have never seen the light of day. Anyone want to know why? John Newton was a human trafficker. He participated in the Atlantic slave trade. He worked on the boats. He would have been canceled. But you see, in the early church, what mattered to them during that time was that he was broken and repentant and came to Christ. And through that brokenness and that repentance, this song was birthed in him. And that song has gone around the world and changed countless lives. You see, it's the fruit that matters. Worship, the worship that God has always wanted from us starts in the heart of a believer. In John 4, verse 23, Jesus says, But the time is coming, indeed, is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. Jesus is telling this Samaritan woman that everything you know about worship is about to change. She was just saying, you think that you have to worship in Jerusalem. We think it's on Mount Gerizim. We're right, you're wrong. You think you're right and we're wrong. What's the truth? And Jesus said, no. Neither. Everything is about to change. And honestly, for the longest time, they all had it wrong anyway. In Jewish tradition, 
and in most religious traditions of that time, worship could be defined like this. A very specific set of activities done in a very specific way in a very specific location. That was worship. You do this on this day at this time and, by, and, and take your right hand and put it on the offering and hold up the blood and put blood on your big, on your, on your big thumb and then put it on your big toe, touch it to your ear. And then you, there were so many crazy things. By the way, that's a real method. Read the Old Testament. Nuts. These were all things that were done. They had to be done in a very, very specific way. And it was believed that by following the law, you were worshiping. Now, that makes sense today when you think about how legalistic churches will tell you that you are not worshiping and you don't know God if you don't do these things in specific order. If your kids don't come and act like this, if your wife doesn't dress like this, if you don't do this, if you drive the wrong car, if you have a, God forbid you have a tattoo, oh my Lord. The wife in the family is great. Husband not only had a, had a tattoo, he had an earring. And he had the audacity to lift his hand in worship. I, I, I don't even know what to do there. Surprise, lightning didn't come down through that earring and incinerate him. God doesn't care. See, the Jews had it wrong when they believed that worship was a forced adherence to the law. The law was never meant to encompass all of worship. It was never meant that way. Jesus tells us that. The law was there to help us understand how things should be done. God had to provide a very clear understanding of what it meant to follow him. He had to give us the hows of, how, of, of what to do. But what the law could never do and what legalism could never do is change a heart. The law can't change a heart. It can change your activities, but it cannot change your heart. And this is the problem when people come to Christ and they begin to simply, uh, they, they just learn to say the right things. They learn to do the right things. You got kids who grew up in the, in the church. They mimic their parents. They know when to raise their hands. They know, what's, they know what to do. They know how to do it. But the why is com- has completely escaped them. Completely escaped them. And the parents think, oh, look, little Johnny... Finally, he's up there on the, on, on the worship team. We know he's got Jesus in him. Do you? Do you? Or is little Johnny just doing what he is supposed to do? Can you honestly say that, there is, that he understands the why that this is happening? That is when doing something becomes worship. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're doing it for the right reasons, that activity is now worship. Even things that may be a job in some ways become worship. Because we've applied, we're emptying ourselves in service to God, directing someone to God. It doesn't matter what we're doing. Singing's an easy way to understand it, but it's such a small piece of what worship really is. God is not after strict, rigid tradition as the only true worship. God is after a heart change in the individual. He's not after a method. If you think about this, if you go back to Cain and Abel, the widow's might, two powerful stories in, the, in, the, uh, in, in Scripture, you have two very different things. You have one person who gave, who gave the best they had. 
and you have one person that just brought something. God accepted the one who gave. He did not accept the one that just showed up. Just showing up isn't enough. Just doing what's expected of you is not worship. There's nothing worshipful about it. You're just following a set of guidelines. Those who worship God and whose who's worship God accepted were the ones who understood. Now, please hear this. Real worship is not about what they get out of it, but what they put into it. Worship is not about what you get out of it. Worship is about what you put into it. Sometimes we come, we're like, ah, you know, worship was kind of dead today. I didn't really feel like I got anything out of it. (laughs) I can tell you why it was dead. (laughs) It's because you made it about you. You didn't make it about the one who you're supposed to be worshiping. It became about God providing something, not about us bringing something. I want you to listen to this section in Romans uh, chapter 12. This is a little longer than I would normally read. This is 1 through 18. But I, I want you to see what this is talking about when I'm, when I'm referring to the constant and consistent emptying of yourself in service to God. Okay? So check this out. Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 18. It reads, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you can learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we'll all and we all belong to each other. In his grace, listen to this, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If the gift is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't Just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in your uh, confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager uh, to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with, with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't, uh, and, and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil for more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. 
That entire section is about taking everything that God has given you and consistently pouring it out on everybody else. Consistently just pouring it out on everybody else. So when we stand there, Lord, fill me. Why? Why? Why is God filling you just so that you can hang on to it? We've become a nation of spiritual hoarders. We want everything from God. But I don't want to give it away. You know, but yeah, I, 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 would, I would give away my giftings. But you know, you've got to stay six feet away. I'd prophesy, but the mask. Really? Whatever it is that God has gifted you with, spend your time giving that thing away. We do this because that's the act of sacrifice. We know that this life is not about what we attain. This life is about who we bring with us into the next. Life in this world has one purpose. You guys have heard me say this over and over again. It's bringing the creation back to the creator. That's it, to reclaim what was lost. What we're told over and over again is at the end, when God finally rolls this universe up like the sheet of paper that it really is in his eyes and unrolls the new one, everything will start back to where it originally was as it was supposed to be. We get to go back to the beginning and see what God actually created us for. And the purpose of us here, the purpose of Christianity here, is to bring people with us to that end. There is no other goal in this life. Your career is irrelevant. Your income is irrelevant. Your skill set is irrelevant. Your friends are irrelevant. The house you have, the car you drive, what your bank account looks like is irrelevant. None of that is going to go with you when you leave this world into the next. The only thing that will go with you are the people you you have brought to a, a knowledge of Christ and the people who have a knowledge of Christ who have gone ahead of you. That's it. There is no other benefit to this world. We can have a lot of fun while we're here, but everything that we experience while we're here stays here. It's like that old joke, guy figures out how to bring gold to heaven. Wife turns all of his money into gold, brings it up to heaven. He gets to the gate. He's got this bag he's dragging behind him. St. Peter goes, what in the world are you doing? He goes, you're not going to believe I, I brought this with me. He brings him over. He opens the, opens the bag. He looks in. It's full of gold. And he goes, pavement? Because the streets are paved with gold. You see, you see how silly what we value down here really is? It doesn't matter. But let me ask you a question. This is, this is, this is when I'm probably going to risk offending everybody. On a Sunday morning, on a Sunday morning, when we start the music, how many of you would like to experience God in that process of music and singing in a way that you have never experienced him before at a depth and a level that you probably didn't think was even possible for you. (laughs) It's heavenly music in the background. 
It happens when I speak sometimes. It's, in, yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome. When I'm home and just talking to Samantha and it happens, she's just like, again? <laughs> How many of you would like to experience God in that way on church on Sunday morning? Where you, you it, it's, you're just, you're filled to a place where you don't even, you hear people talk about those stories. And you're like, well, that's good for them, but it doesn't happen to me. How many of you like to experience that? Other than just me, I'm not raising my hand. I want to help you understand how that happens and why it doesn't happen for some of us. Okay? This is where I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to step out on a risk here. Okay? This is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is beautiful. It is so crazy, the colors that come from it. It's a body of water in Israel that cannot sustain life. The, the salinity factor, the amount of salt in the water is actually so high, you can't drown in the Dead Sea. You, everything just floats. You just float. Because there's, there's a little bit of air in your body. The, the water is so dense because of the salt. The, everything just floats. The salt is so so thick. This is an artist, an Israeli artist who soaked a dress in the Red Sea for two months. That's what it looked like afterwards. Everything just gets covered with salt. The only thing the Dead Sea is good for is salt. (laughs) That and killing things. It's just kind of the way it works. Now, just north of the Dead Sea, at the other end of the Jordan River, is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is lush. Filled with life. The life that comes from it sustains all the villages and the people around it. It brings life, it brings life and economy to everyone, everyone that's there. But the Dead Sea doesn't. Now here's something interesting. The Dead Sea constantly has water flowing into it. Okay? Constantly has water. It is constantly receiving water. The Sea of Galilee is also constantly receiving water from the same original source. From the same original source, the Dead Sea is fed by the, by the overflow from the Sea of Galilee through the Jordan River. It's the same water. Why does one have life and the other one doesn't? It's a simple answer. The Sea of Galilee doesn't just take in, it pours out. The Dead Sea only receives. It receives living water. It receives living water constantly. But it holds on to it. And because that water does nothing but sit there, what it ends up bringing is death. The Sea of Galilee, the water comes in, water brings life, the water is allowed to go on its way so that new water can come in and bring new life. And then it's sent down the river. Jordan River is also full of life until it gets to the Dead Sea. Let me ask you something. What is the Spirit of God referred to in this passage and the rest of the conversation with the Samaritan woman? 
Lady, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you streams of living water. Isn't that true for our life? But here's what ends up happening. We become Christians. I'm going to go over here and grab this. And God cleans us out. We get filled. We start talking to people about Jesus. And here's the reality. Life happens. Okay, I don't want to, I don't want to say this wrong, but life happens. And sometimes you think, you know what, man, I want to do, I want to do this. I want to be, I want to be part of a worship team. I want to be part of a prayer team. I want to lead a Bible study. I want to do this. I want to do that. Life happens and we only have 24 hours in a day. I get it. But service to God is not only service in the church. Service in the church is the tiniest little piece of what ministry really is. The rest of it is what the church is here for, to equip the body for the work of the ministry. When you leave this place, you have one purpose, to take whatever God has given you and give it away so that when you come into the church the next week, you're empty. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you come to the church with everything you had in you the week before, what is God supposed to do? Top you off? He's not a waitress coming over to your table at Cracker Barrel trying to, you want a little warm up with your coffee? Oh, you're all good now. God gives us so that we give. And when, when what God gives us begins to die, when church becomes regular, when faith becomes boring, when we start looking at what God is doing in our life as not enough, we start to bring some death into our life. Now, I want you to think about something. Uh, Gary can attest to this. There was about this much grape juice that I put in here this morning. Filled the rest up with water. This is about twice the amount of water. Sorry, Cindy. Here, I put a little towel down. Just, just don't, don't tell Debbie. I want you to think about this. Watch what happens. Anyone notice something? Still not clear. Still not clear. Let me ask you something. What happens if I leave church today like this and I spend my week doing this and I come back next week like this? What have I just given God permission to do? To fill me. I have created space for God to use me. I'm not worried about hanging on to what he gave me. I'm not worried about keeping this thing. I'm not worried about offending my coworkers. I'm not worried about offending my family. I'm not worried about getting in the face of the public opinion about whatever 
nonsensical thing they want to bring up this week. I'm simply giving away what God has given me. If God has given me finance and he has called me to give, I'm going to give generously. If God has called me to teach, I'm going to teach fervently. If God has called me to lead, I'm going to lead unapologetically. If God has called me to prophesy, I'm going to give you the word whether you like it or not. If God has called me to pray for you, I'm going to pray for you. And I don't care what happens after that. It is my responsibility to pour out whatever he has given me onto the rest of the world. And the reason why the bulk of the church does not experiencing anything from God during the worship portion of our service is because we're so full of ourselves, there's no room for him. You might come tired. You might come beaten down by the world around you. You may want to sell all your kids. But that does not mean you're empty. You understand what I'm saying? You can be burdened, but that does not make you empty. If we are not giving away what God has given us, there is no reason for him to give us more. This is the law of reaping and sowing. If God sows into you and you refuse to sow into the world around you, why would you expect a harvest? I hope you understand what I was just explaining to you. This is what happens in revival. Revival is not when the pastor finally starts preaching good. Revival is not what happens when the worship team finally figures it out. Revival is when the body of the church begins to empty itself into the community around it unapologetically knowing that when they come back they will be refilled and you don't come back to be filled to get that warm fuzzy feeling oh it's just so nice you come back to get filled so that you can do it again we empty ourselves under the world around us we come back in god fills us so that we can go out and empty ourselves again but a lot of times what i find is people are just waiting god please do something in my life You're not waiting for God. Let me explain it. You're not waiting for God. God is waiting for you. This is in your control. You get to choose where your faith goes. That's why it's called your faith. You said, no, 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 pastor. If God wants something to happen, it's going to happen. Can I push back on that for a second? God called the Israelites out of Canaan, out of Egypt, to the land of Canaan. He split the Red Sea. He brought, Abel talked a lot about this yesterday. He, He laid waste to everything in front of them. They finally get up to the bank of the river. They're looking at Canaan. And they said, I just don't feel it. If God really wants us to go over there, then he'll just kill everybody. Then we'll go. Because I don't like the challenge. There's really tall people over there. Can you imagine if I had that view in my life? I wouldn't have got out of ninth grade. In seventh grade, when I started my seventh grade year, I was the tallest, tallest kid in the class. I was this size. People were like, he's going to be a monster. (laughs) Yeah, okay. We're supposed to be doing these things. We're supposed to be getting out there. 
what ended up happening? The Israelites waited for God when in reality God was waiting for them. It took 40 years for the next generation to come to the same spot. And they finally realized we've got to go in order for the power of God to work. The power of God can't work in your life when you're in park. You've got to be in a forward gear. So it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're driving a tractor all day, which some of you are, that can be worship, folks. Your work can be worship. It's a mindset. You taking kids all day, taking care of kids all day? Great, that can be worship. Working in a vet clinic, that can be worship. I mean, granted, sometimes in, you know, in different types of retail environment, you'd like to send people to meet Jesus, but that's a different story, you know? All of these things can be worship. It's in how we relate to the people around us, what we allow God to do with us in the moment. But we don't think we can where we are. That's a bunch of garbage. You want to experience the fullness of worship? Come empty next week. Come empty expecting to be filled. Don't come full expecting God to, you know, drown you out. Come empty and expect to be filled. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. I'm not putting anyone down, by the way. I'm not like, you guys are disappointed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm encouraging you to go to another level. And this is how you get there. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you're continually doing in the lives of everyone here. I thank you, Father, that you you never leave us you never leave us alone. You never leave us to the whims of the world around us. We just come and follow you. Father, help us to spend this next week asking you every day what it means to empty ourselves in your service today. What does it mean? And then give us the courage to do that very thing. Whatever that looks like, Lord. Help us to not walk through this world tiptoeing on our Christianity, hoping no one notices. But let us stand boldly for you in righteousness, in peace, in patience, and in endurance, but standing nonetheless. Not worried about the nonsense happening around us, but pay attention, paying attention to where we may find an open door to let you in world may be blowing up around us, but if we can bring one more person with us, 